0: Welcome to Cloud Insiders, the podcast that brings cloud down to earth. Today I'm joined with Justin Pickup, Founder and Sales Director, and Fraser Norman, Channel Partner Manager of AppTracker. Welcome, gentlemen.
1: Hello. Hello.
0: Good stuff, so let's get straight into it. So, perhaps you wanna take this one, Justin, um, to get us going. For those who don't already know, who are AppTracker
2: and what do you do? Thank you. AppTrack is a a company specialising in software for migration planning. We initially started back in 2003 as private contractors and we're mostly involved with application packaging and that kind of project. But we soon realised that there was an awful lot more to the project than just getting applications ready. Most of these projects were about migrating Windows NT onto XP and that sort of thing. And we realised that there's an awful lot more to do in getting users ready and getting machines ready and coordinating the whole thing together. So that's why we developed App tracker, and then it moved into Migration Studio.
0: Okay, very good. And do you want to give us a bit of an, an
2: overview of Migration Studio as you mentioned it? Yeah, sure. So a bunch of these projects that we're thinking of, you know, XP Migrations, Azure into the cloud and, and all that sort of <coughs> stuff, it's all about understanding what the scope of the project is. So traditionally you'd be looking at A company and you'd say how many applications have you got how many users have you got let's start with a project and you suddenly realize that actually there's a lot more to it than that it's all about getting context behind that information so for example there are 700 applications but who uses those applications where are they physically located are they virtual applications are they fat applications are they in the cloud applications all that sort of stuff and it's about also with the users you know how can we plan to schedule these migrations with these users are they in an office in Leeds? Are they in a different country? Do they move around the country using mobile laptops or or, or whatever? And it's when you start to understand that context that you realize that you need some kind of solution that enables you to manage all of those things together, Um, some kind of collaboration piece of software. And so Migration Studio is about collecting all the information together, um, understanding the processes, managing the knowledge about all those applications, about the users, about the machines, and then being able to execute migrations, schedule migrations, and automate an awful lot of stuff. This type of project, there's an awful lot of stuff that is repeatable. Um, adding users to AD groups, application packaging, discover, package, QA, UAT, deliver. And you do that over and over again. So it's understanding where you are within those processes. And that's where Migration Studio comes into the whole thing.
0: Okay. Very good. And with your background, Fraser, and this isn't the first time we've met, so you've obviously had a fair bit of involvement in products that assist with migration. So what's the journey been like for you coming into AppTracker and, and starting to work with the channel and,
1: and their clients? Yeah, it's a very logical move for me. As you know, I've been working in the world of VDI, desktop transformation, and server-based computing for probably more years than I care to mention. Um, and during that time... I've seen a lot of projects not necessarily go according to plan, which can be an incredibly frustrating experience for everyone, the customer, the partners involved, the vendors involved can be very frustrating because they're generally quite complex. During that time, you're always wondering, is there some way of smoothing out those hiccups, smoothing out the bumps in the road and making sure the process all stays on time within scope, within budget and, and on track? So I'd actually met with the guys on a webex probably about 18 months to two years ago I saw the product there and a few pennies dropped as i was watching it and this was before migration studio came out. this was their core app tracker solution and as time has moved on they've expanded the product even further and we now have migration studio built on the, the core strengths of App tracker and it's so logical it makes so much sense and when i met with the guys at the beginning of the year I could really see the benefit for end users, systems integrators, and partners in utilizing this tool. It's totally agnostic as what what is on the underlying, what's the underlying technology, or what's the underlying delivery technique. Is it virtual? Is it physical? Really doesn't matter. It just makes so much sense for any organization. It's a bit of a leap of faith going down the VDI route or migrating to Windows Ten, and a lot of people are you know very nervous about that, and they're very complex things and When you look at Migration Studio, and to my untechnical mind, I look at it as a bit of a command and control center for the the entire project. Uh, it's that sort of all-seeing, overarching eye that keeps an eye on the project project, makes sure it's all everything's done when it should be. It's very, very intelligent in terms of prioritizing applications that need to be packaged when, you know, for which department and so it really made a lot of sense and it ticked a lot of boxes and um, it, it, to me it really was it was a no-brainer. The guys are great, the, the technology is fantastic, they've got a great work ethic. And, <laughs> and I'm not just saying that, but they have got a great work ethic. If you look at some of the, the customers they've already got, it makes perfect sense. There's no one talks negative about the product. You know, we've got some great case studies from customers that sing the praises. So it's been a great journey and obviously what I've been built on to look after the channel partners, so that's strategic partners as well as um, sales partners. We need people to sort of extend our sales capability as well so that they can extol the virtues of the product to their customers. And uh, yeah, so uh, it's going great. We've got some really good conversations going on with some key uh, technology partners, some key vendors and key systems integrators. So everything seems to be going according to plan and in all honesty, When people see the Webex, the penny drops, and uh, most people get it straight away. Good stuff.
0: So, who are the key players in the migration management space?
2: So, the, there's the major third-party integrators. So, you've got you know sort of the Dells, the HPs, the VMware, Citrix, that sort of stuff. And obviously, you've got Extrovert, You've got a few of the smaller companies, App Technology, Ad Three, all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, the, the, there are a huge amount of people out there who. Do the work. They provide the ability to land in a company and do these complex migrations. And, and that's the—I mean—that's the great question, isn't it? Is why would you use a partner over doing it internally? There's one major reason, and that's because they've done it before. And it's, it really is a cookie-cutter exercise. Whereas someone said, "Why is migration planning so important?" And the reason is is because most migrations are incredibly expensive projects. They disrupt the whole business they can have an effect on the operational running of the business and without careful planning they just go on forever and ever and ever. So with an ethical partner who can come in and is not about so much their bottom line and how much they can make out of it, but it's about you know delivering a project on time and within budget, all the classical you know, sort of the classical project management speak. But you know if you can get a partner to do that, then you're halfway there. And the second bit is to to answer that question is you know software companies within the space, there aren't that many. We have a software product that covers not only the application side, but it's the, um, the user side and the machine side as well. So you've got the whole holistic approach. There are a couple of companies out there who, I think, Joiba, they kind of concentrate more on the, the users and the machines, but they're not so great for the application space. And then you've got companies like SparkleFlow or Flow who concentrate on the application space, but not the other side of it. And so from a holistic point of view, uh, and managing not only the workflow, but the knowledge, the automation, the ability to report both to program managers as well as to project managers, as well as to test managers and all that sort of stuff. Migration Studio is the only thing out there that can do the whole thing. So you know, there, there are a couple of people coming up, a couple of competitors that are, are gaining traction. Um, and it's a big space. There is so much going on at the moment. It's not just about Windows. Everybody so, you know, talks about... XP Windows 10 people are now starting to talk about cloud they're talking about the whole Azure thing uh, Office 365 VDI I'm sure we'll talk about it later on but containerization and that sort of stuff and the impact that that's going to have on capacity planning and all those all those things and and they all need managing it's all about making sure that you can manage all of those things thank you maybe a question for you Fraser
0: what sort of trends are you seeing as clients start to look at a better way of managing their migration
1: projects well, certainly Windows 10 seems to be a driving force for a lot of people. Um, I think the market reception has been pretty good for Windows 10. It's uh, IT manager's dream now that one more upgrade and then that's it. No more upgrades after that. Heard that before with Windows. We've heard that before. But uh, it does seem to be pointing in that direction. I think, like I say, the general market reception has been pretty good. So that's, that's a big driver. Cloud is a, a massive driver out there. A lot of people looking to adopt cloud um, techniques for application delivery and uh, desktop delivery Uh, you know and and VDI itself whilst VDI can be part of that overall cloud component um, and mobility you know people still want to have access anywhere you know give their staff the ability to hot desk and, and a lot of the technology is there now it's tried and tested there's a lot less reticence to taking on these
2: technologies. Yeah. Also, a couple of trends that I'm seeing which, which have really surprised me in their adoption and should have been adopted a long, long time ago. And one of, the, one of the issues that people had with previous migrations like XP was people are now starting to use agents that report back software oh. usage and computer usage. And that, you know, I've been in so many projects where people will say they know the scope, but they don't know the context. So the scope is 700 apps. 5,000 users, but they don't know who's using the apps. They don't know where they're using them or when they are using them. And without that knowledge, you don't know. You don't know what your licensing status is like. You don't know what your procurement hole is. If you have to buy more licenses, you need to know what value that is. And then you can't make decisions about rationalizing any of those applications. You can't look at your business processes. Um, And without all this, you can't even make a decision. You know, if you're going into a VDI space or you're going into the cloud, you want to be able to rationalize your application portfolio so that you're not using multiple versions of the same thing. Mm. So that you're able to use um, a bit of software that's compatible with both the technology that you move on to, but also your business processes. You know, There's no, there's no point in moving to the latest piece of software if it doesn't work with your business mm. or if it doesn't work in your VDI space or in, in the cloud or whatever. So people understanding what they're using on their desktops, on their mobile phones, on their web apps and all that sort of stuff. That's, that's one of the trains that I'm finding most encouraging. And what are some
0: examples of the, the agents that you're seeing people run successfully?
2: Um, some of the ones we're seeing at the moment, SysTrack uh, is, is very big at the moment. Uh, Snow, Scalable is, is another one that um, was very US-based. but I'm seeing an awful lot more of that these days. Centrix, unfortunately, they were, um, they were quite big, um, but you know, they're, they're no longer, which is a shame. But there's some fantastic software out there, you know, SysTrack, Scalable, um, Snow. And also, I mean, the fantastic bit there is that, you know, we, we use so little of what they can give and they can produce so much more information. We can bring a, a SysTrack connector in or a Scalable connector in and we can tell people how, how they're using the software and what they need to do from a procurement perspective and moving forward. But they can tell them, you know, how much capacity they need. Which applications are failing on a day-to-day basis? You know what the error rates are, what memory they need, and and all that sort of stuff. So, I I think the you know the collaboration with those sort of companies is is going to be pretty big. And also, I'll just add to that in in the VDI space.
1: Obviously, what a lot of companies are trying to move towards is a a very very small base image or gold image, whatever you want to call it, to the point where you're you're effectively just trying to deliver a a bare-bones operating system to the user and then populating their profile, populating their applications in there. But in order to do that, you've as Justin said, you've got to rationalize that application set down as much as possible. And the only real effective way of doing that is to look at the usage of those applications in a day-to-day environment. And then you can make some sort of informed decisions on how you then rationalize that application set. And that helps you bring that gold image down to the barest minimum that you possibly can it just makes the whole VDI delivery much more uh, effective. Okay, so what are the downsides of of using
2: a tool like Migration Studio? <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a trick question. So I would say um, the downsides is actually people acknowledging their responsibilities. Um, once you start to manage your environment properly and you understand your application portfolio and you understand Who's using that application portfolio, and you understand where those applications are installed, you've got no excuse to say that we don't have enough licenses. You've got no excuse to say that you don't understand why your environment is failing, or you know that you're not compliant with PCI DSS or whatever. You know, the, the, the credit card companies, you know, companies that take information, they've, they've got very strict guidelines about uh, what version software needs to be on, and that sort of stuff. So, of course, if you start to manage your whole environment, you've got no excuse about you're in chaos. So, you can go to the regulator and go, Well, we're not really sure, or we made a mistake. And, you know, if, if you're managing it properly, then you need to know what your licensing costs are and what your shortfall is. You need to know how well regulated you are within your financial environment and that sort of stuff. So, you know, for, for me, the downside is, is, is something, you know, it could be a financial shock. Mm. Uh, in the beginning. But the good side is, is that you can get out of that and that you can, you know, you can start to manage your portfolio. And you know, a lot of the opportunities with migrations at the moment, it's not just about Windows 10 uh, and rationalization. It's also about a lot of companies over the last three or four years, five, six years, M&A has been a big thing, mergers and acquisitions, where companies have come together and it sounded like an absolutely fantastic collaboration. And then they realise that actually part of that company that they just brought on just doesn't make sense to them. A good example is uh, some of the banks I've worked in. They owned insurance companies. Now, why would a bank own an insurance company? And the regulators looked at it, the banks got into difficulties, and they made them divest those insurance companies and that sort of stuff. And, of course, if you're not managing your environment, you've got a huge problem there because all the banking software that this now suddenly smaller company is using is going to be very expensive and if you don't know who's using it and that sort of stuff you, you know I, I, I was in a company where they had sas sap business objects you know some of the huge financial applications and they were being divested into a company that was so so much smaller and of course their their, their potential costs were massive mm. um, so so what did they do they had to relicense. i mean obviously they they they, they, they had to find out A, why these applications were being used. And of course in the bank, they were just being thrown around like confetti because uh, they had enterprise licenses. Anybody could use it. So you'd have people in personnel, um, marketing, finance, obviously finance using these big... But lots of people were taking on this process software and the big financial software and just using it because it was an enterprise license. But of course, when they were divested, they had to look at what the new license cost was. And because suddenly the company had gone from... 100,000 people down to 10,000 people, obviously with their license opportunities and costs a lot more money. Um, so they had to look at the business processes, they had to get rid of some of the software, they had to, you know, re reinvest in changing those business processes, it's, it's huge.
0: Thank you for that. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, so I know my business needs to move to Windows 10, mm. what sort of things do I need to have on my checklist? Um, what sort of questions do I need to be asking myself and my business? to prepare
2: for that migration in the smartest way. To me and I keep saying it it's the word of the week context context context. So it's the who what where when and how of your migration. Previously people would treat a migration as a waterfall type project. So and traditionally people will have a few deliverables that are very very large. So they'll they'll treat their application readiness as one deliverable. They'll treat their user planning as one deliverable, and the execution and scheduling of the migration as one deliverable. And so in terms of that, when you're thinking about scope, you go, well, a 1,000 applications or 3,000 applications, take that away from a project management perspective, and they'll say, well, a 1,000 apps, two days per app, that's 2,000 person days. They'll divide it by the team that they think they need and squeeze it down into uh, that length of time. And of course, there's no context behind that. And so the project manager will say, right, that will take me 18 months. And the program manager will look at his statistics and go, Well, that, that seems pretty reasonable. You know, a thousand applications, we've got that many team. Um I'll leave them to it and I'll come back in 18 months and, uh, and we'll see what happens then. But of course, BAU changes that whole application landscape. Maybe 10, 20 percent of those applications will be different by the time they get to the point where they can actually start to migrate. And so If I've got a system where I can say, right, of those thousand applications, I know exactly who uses those apps in the leads office in the finance department. Then of course, I can now start going, well, actually I want to migrate the finance department on the 4th of November. I have suddenly got the context behind that migration. I know what applications they need, I know when they need them, and I know how I'm gonna get them there. So that is the most important question. What's my context? How am I gonna get there? Other questions I'm gonna ask is, who's going to be accountable and responsible for the project and and, and the steps. It's okay bringing in a third party, but if you've got no quality gateways between what you're delivering to them and what they're delivering to you, you're going to be in the time and materials nightmare that so many companies get into. So understand context, understand who's accountable for doing all of the work and who's actually going to do it. And you'll get an awful lot of the way there. Find out from an application perspective what's important to the business and which business areas are most sensitive to change. And you know, you go from a a banking perspective to a government perspective, to an education, to a university, they've all got different priorities. There's no way you can walk into a trade floor and go, right, everybody down tools, we're migrating today, the project's fixed, the project manager decided it. You have to understand what you're doing to these people because it's their job. You know, you're, you're impacting the whole business and you need to understand when they can be changed, I guess. Yeah, and logistics, do a time and motion study of how long it actually takes to migrate one person and what all those steps are and what it means to that person. No one likes change and everybody hates IT. You way know? of the day, Pat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's so many times you, you walk into a place and they go, oh, for God's sake, IT, it's just a problem. The only time they talk to IT is when they're phoning the help desk because their application doesn't work. And, of course, if you're changing their whole environment, they're going to blame you for that change, and they're going to blame... The fact that they can't do their job on all this new shiny stuff that you're doing. So, communication. How am I going to communicate to these users that what they're getting is going to be the next greatest thing? It's going to help and enable them. Move into the cloud is going to make them you know, be able to work from home so much easier. From their holiday home in France or whatever. You know, They, they can do whatever they want to do because of all this new technology. And it's about being able to embrace that, communicating that, that change for them. They're the kind of the questions, aren't they?
0: Good stuff. Thank you.
2: Fraser, what
0: types of businesses are you, are you now seeing implementing Migration Studio? Is it in particular verticals or is it across the board?
1: I'd say it's across the board. That said, there are some areas that uh, seem to have a particular interest in it. So uh, more recently we've, we've done some work with some NHS trusts. Could can see the benefits of it. Um, I think historically, started off in banking, Um I don't know Justin if you want to sort of
2: That's a funny one actually because you've got the the trailblazers like the banks Mm. who are implementing Windows ten now, they're going into the cloud, Office 365. And then you've got the people in the background who are following, such as NHS trusts, government organizations, education, you know, schools and universities who are still coming off XP, believe it or not. Some of these people are still coming off XP, and so they're going towards um, even Windows 10, Windows 7, Windows 8. Obviously, Windows 10 is now something that they can move on to. But yeah, it, it depends on which vertical you're looking into. So the trailblazers like finance and, and that sort of thing—they're all heading for the stars. You know, as your Windows 10 Office 365.
0: Okay. And do you want to give us an example either of you of a of a client that um, that was in the midst of a migration and and realised that Migration Studio might be a good idea?
2: Nearly everyone that we've talked to. (laughs) So one of the most frustrating sales chats that you have is you'll walk into a company and they will say, "Mm, no, we're going to do this on spreadsheet. We're going to do this on spreadsheet. And then you'll speak to them in nine months' time and they'll go, you were right, you know, this is so difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's about getting people to understand the value of what you can add and how much time you can save. So moving away from um, a waterfall-type project into an Agile-type project, you can actually compress the timelines massively. And if you're compressing the timelines, then your burn rate for all those people sitting around or managing the project or the PMO staff or the program managers and all that sort of stuff is compressed.
0: When you talk about um, moving from waterfall to Agile and, mm-hmm. and being able to compress things and speed up, What exactly do you mean?
2: Well, it it goes back to what I was talking about before in terms of context. Previously, you would be tasked with getting all of the applications ready. So that would be a a nine-month gap or an 18-month gap. And then once you've got 80% of your applications ready, then the program manager will be confident that they can reach out to the business and start to schedule their migrations. And it's only at that point that the program manager often feels comfortable because a lot of the technical delivery has been done. So, you know, they've built the new operating system, they've got the applications ready, etc. If you've got context behind your project, then what you can do is just get the finance department ready or the marketing department ready because you know which applications they're using. So you can concentrate on which applications have the biggest uh, impact on your migration. I mean, we've got a, we've got a fantastic graph actually um, AAP, it's um, application prioritization. And we've we've pulled in, so if we pull in information from SysTrack or Snow or Scalable or whatever, and we've got the application to use the mapping, you can actually see, and I hate talking about Pareto because everybody does that 80-20 rule or whatever, but you can see such a steep graph of how quickly you can get lots of your users ready because so many of them just use your basic Word, Excel, PowerPoint, and all that sort of stuff. And we often find, I mean, some of the steepest um, organizations are the banks and that sort of stuff. And if you get 10, 15, 20% of their applications ready for the whole portfolio, you can almost get to 50% of the user migrations ready. And that's what I mean by being more agile, because suddenly, rather than waiting 18 months for all your applications to be ready, if you've just got 15% or 5% of your applications, you can start to select those people to be migrated. And of course, because you can do that, then if you run into problems, and how many times have we been in, mm. in, in, in projects where an application seems to be simple and then all of a sudden it doesn't work on your VDI environment because of capacity constraints or pro, you know process constraints or that sort of stuff. And by being agile, you can actually go, well actually that whole community of people can't be moved now, mm. but we're not relying on those people to be moved. We can We can now take the marketing department or the HR department, move those forward. You can change your Gantt chart, the project manager's sitting there happy because it's only a subsection of people that's been moved rather than the whole of you know, the migration. I mean, I've been in projects um, you know, because I come from an application management perspective, whereby you're sat there, you've got a thousand applications in your hopper, and your packaging manager goes, Right, pack those apps. And there's no, which ones do I do first? You just go, Well, I've packed Windows it before. <laughs> I'll do that, you know, and yeah. I've done, I've been an expert who's done business objects and an expert who's done SaaS, but it's not necessarily what the business needs mm. um, and, and, you know, people will just picked their favourite applications rather than having a targeted um, ability to, to, to look at their mind. And
1: it, it's interesting watching people's responses when they see the, the application prioritisation. Mm. Um, yeah, it's something we've had for, for some time and watching their faces when they, they see this, it's, oh, well, yeah, we can do it logically. You know, as Justin said, it was everything was just thrown into a big bucket. Just get on with those applications. But now you can prioritise it. And yeah, a lot of people, <laughs> you, if it's on a WebEx, you can always hear the reaction from them. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah. Mm. Thank you. What do you see the next year or two of,
0: of migrations looking like? We've mentioned Windows 10 and Touchdown Cloud. What are
2: you seeing coming over the horizon for, that people need to be thinking about?
0: The most exciting
2: thing for me I think, is going to be containerization, so layering and containerization. And it's a technology that people are looking on the server application side at the moment, so web apps and that sort of stuff. And you hear an awful lot of Linux-based applications and and, and Unix-based applications that are being containerized. But I think that when people start to realize that you can containerize desktop applications, and that you can you can see those applications through some kind of presentation layer like Citrix or, or or whatever, is that that is going to be huge? Because traditionally, if you've got an application that works, maybe you'll do it through AppV or or, or whatever, but you've got some kind of you know difficulty with the application through uh, it needs certain DLLs or, or whatever. Then you'll tend to have a VDI environment, but it will be a whole operating system. And so you can only fit so many applications on the operating system. If you can containerize all of those different apps, mm. I can see in the future where you'll be able to almost deploy applications on a daily basis. So for example, when finance are coming towards their quarter end or month end, you can provision a bunch of applications and share those across a number of servers in containers. And then once all of that heavy hitting you know, financial data has been done, you can take those applications off the container servers and put a load of other applications on there that are being used by your sales staff or your marketing staff or your HR staff. So you can can actually on the fly start to manage your performance and your capacity rather than having traditionally you will have a server farm with a bunch of applications for the finance department, for the HR department, for the marketing department. What happens if you can have just one server farm where you can and flow your applications when and where they're needed. I think, I think that's, that's mm. the really exciting thing
0: for that. Brilliant. But, uh, we've, we've actually uh, had another episode specifically around containers and dockers and, and the shift to, to DevOps. So mm. it's, it's interesting to, to hear you bring that up, and I could certainly, I could certainly see that starting to really mm. grow wings. Oh, yeah. Mm. Okay, so just a, I'm imagining myself about to roll out Windows 10. Mm-hmm. I've been told this must happen. <laughs> I've, been told, I've been given a date. Tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you got a budget? So I don't have a budget. <laughs> it's, and I'm expecting it's going to be just like the rollout to Windows 8, which was half of my desktops, mm-hmm. because half of them are still on 7. Yep. What are your suggestions going to be for me?
2: Think of it as a logistical exercise. I think Windows 10 adoption is all about logistics. Most of the applications have been... Packaged, most will work. Windows 7, Windows 8, Windows 10. Most of them should work. So think big about communication to your users and think big about logistics uh, and the rest of it will follow. I don't think we have to throw so much money at this as what we used to have to. You know, getting packaging teams and that sort of stuff. And also think about how you can outsource some of that work sensibly so that you can get somebody to come in Manage those logistics. Maybe manage your uh, the applications packaging or, or or whatever. Just getting them ready. I think you'll be well ahead then. It's just to me, Windows Ten is about logistics. Okay, All right, Thank you.
0: Um, how about if the development team have come to me and said, "We need cloud. We want Azure. Make it happen." What uh, what would your advice be to me in that case?
2: Um, so. That to me is about understanding what you've got at the moment and what you want to get to. So your as is to be type register. And then it's about facilitating that transition. So if you're talking about applications and things, you need to understand those server based applications, how they're installed, what the disaster recovery plan is gonna be, and how you're gonna get them up into the cloud. Once you've done that, it's about preparing your operational infrastructure in the cloud. And you might be building a load of servers, a load of web farms, um, a SQL cluster or, or, or whatever it is, is that you need. Build that and have it as a blank canvas. Once you've got the blank canvas, you can start to transition those applications and those services up there. Um, the big thing I'd look at is automation. Um, an awful lot of this stuff can be automated. We were doing, we were, um, doing a presentation the other day to a, a third party uh, service provider. And it was about data center migration, so, you know, moving these servers from their local data center into the cloud. Um, and it was, it was all about automating. You know, Building a server is so easy in Azure. Um, they've just released a, a new API set, which is absolutely fantastic. You know, with, a, with a couple of lines of code, you can build a server. Um, you can give it a public IP address. Um, you can build some storage infrastructure that sort of stuff. You can section it off within a network environment and all of that can be automated. And if you can do that and start to build that operational infrastructure automatically and then start to move, transition these applications up into the cloud, it's, it's, it's so easy. So what I'd say is understand your environment and how you're going to get from A to B, your as-is-to-B environment. Because, of course, the, the servers that you've got in your local infrastructure will have such a different capacity and performance to the ones that you can get in the cloud. And you can go from, you know, tiny service to massive service in, in, in Azure. Um, and so understanding what your as is to be is, what your disaster recovery plan is, and how you can transition there and back again if it doesn't work. And then how you can automate a lot of that. Uh, and the DevOps guys, are love that, anyway. <laughs> just automation.
0: Thank you very much. Okay, on that note, as we um, begin to wrap up, how can folks find out a bit more about App Tracker? as a business and about
2: Migration Studio? We've got two websites. We've got apptracker.co.uk and we've got migrationstudio.co.uk. We've got some contact forms on there as well. So we'd love people to drop us an email, drop us a line. We can do a Webex, we can come in and visit. We've got a few partners as well, talk to partners. And we'd love to hear from you. And, And also, I think people have an idea that they want to do this. But they don't think about the other things that they can do. You know, the Office 365, the mail migrations, the server migrations, anything where you're at, where you're migrating one deliverable from one point to another. Think Migration Studio, mm. and then come and talk to us.
0: And I, I
1: suppose if um, if folks wanted to become a partner, you might be willing to have a chat to them too. for Absolutely, instance. yeah, absolutely. As I said earlier, we're. We're looking for not too many, but, uh, you know, a number of partners to, to help us out in the UK. So uh, I'll be more than happy to have a chat and uh, set up a WebEx to talk them through the product. And I think going through the year as well, we're, we're probably going to be holding more webinars as well so people can see the product in all its glory and that will be advertised on social media and uh, through the website as well. Brilliant. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: That brings us to the end of another episode of Cloud Insiders. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed it. And to find out more and access show notes and downloads, head over to cloudinsiders.fm. You can track us on Twitter at Cloud Insiders, and we'd love you to leave us a review on iTunes. See you next time.